Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard about a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Hi, I'm Jules, and welcome to Morbid Tourism, the podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the true crime cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning. This podcast contains descriptions of extreme violence and sexual assault and may be triggering for some listeners. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Mothers often tell their children to be wary of strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Don't get into a stranger's car. And as we discussed in episode one, there's a very good reason for that. Strangers can absolutely be scary and be dangerous. Any kid growing up in the 90s will be familiar with stranger danger and making sure to keep your distance from strangers But we know today that most crimes that happen against children, or really anyone, take place from inside the family unit. Clear Lake, Texas is a middle-class suburb of Houston. It's located about halfway between downtown Houston and Galveston, Texas. This community is really centered around aerospace. It's mostly known for being the location of NASA's um, Johnson Space Center, which I'm sure you will all know from Apollo 13. Okay, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. The Johnson Space Center was built in the early 60s, and since then, Clear Lake has been really populated by engineers and other employees working at those facilities. In the summer of 1999, Rusty Yates was a young professional computer expert, and he had secured a new job at the Johnson Space Center as an engineer. So he relocated his growing family from Seminole, Florida, to a 350-square-foot motorhome in Houston, Texas. Now, I am not an economist, and I don't know how much Rusty was getting paid for this job, but I'm a software engineer myself, a computer engineer, and they most likely made enough money to have a place that's bigger than a 350-square-foot motorhome. But for some reason, in Rusty's mind, this was going to be the perfect home for his growing family. He and his pregnant wife, Andrea... They'd been married for four years, and they already had two small boys named Noah and John. Basically, right after they arrived in Houston, Andrea gave birth to the couple's third son, who they named Paul. So at this point, this family of five is living in a motorhome, and they absolutely had the means to move into a larger home. But for whatever reason, this was kind of Rusty's dream. This is how he wanted his family to be raised. And so they stayed in the motorhome. Andrea Yates, Rusty's wife, had gone to school to be a nurse and she'd practiced for about eight years. After she married Rusty, they mutually decided that Andrea would stop working and she would become a stay-at-home mother while she and Rusty, who they were both very devout Catholics, they would have, quote, as many babies as nature will allow, end quote. 
Because Andrea was already going to stay at home full time with the children, Rusty was the only source of income for the rapidly growing family. And maybe this is why he was being extra frugal and decided that the family should stay in a motor home. You know, heaven forbid something happen with his job and he lost it. They would have no alternative sources of income. And so maybe that was why he wanted to save his money for the future and not splurge on a a larger home for his family. About a year after their son Paul's birth, so that was their third son, Andrea became pregnant for the fourth time. She gave birth to their fourth son, Luke, in June of 1999, while the family was still living in their motor home. Because she was the primary caregiver for the children, she was breastfeeding every few hours and just trying to sleep in between feedings while still providing all of the meals, the baths, the supervision for the other three boys, all of whom were under six years old. So you can imagine the massive amount of stress that Andrea had to have been under trying to raise these four very young boys in a 350 square foot motorhome in the middle of Texas with one of her four boys being a newborn, you know, it could not have been easy for her. She she must have been just very stressed out. It, it was not an easy situation for anybody to be in. Four months after Paul's birth, Rusty came home early from work and he found Andrea in the midst of a nervous breakdown. Like many new mothers, Andrea felt completely overwhelmed and she was possibly suffering from postpartum depression, although it's not completely clear if that was the case. To help relieve some of Andrea's stress, he brought the family to Andrea's parents' house for a day. Basically, he wanted to give some relief to Andrea. He wanted Andrea to kind of have a day off where she didn't have to worry about the children and her parents would be able to help out with the boys. That afternoon, while her parents and the boys were sleeping, Andrea snuck into the bathroom and she took 40 trazodone pills. Now, trazodone is an anxiety medicine and it's actually something that I give to my dogs because they have a lot of anxiety, especially when there's fireworks going off. Um, but it's basically a anxiety medicine that also has um, sedative properties. So it will just kind of make you very sleepy and less anxious. But 40 trazodone pills is way more than a normal person could consume. Um, I have a, a 100 pound pit bull and he gets three pills and he is passed out and doesn't hear fireworks. So I can only imagine you know, more than 10 times that much would absolutely prove fatal for anyone. But luckily, Andrea's mother found Andrea pretty quickly after she took the pills, and Andrea's mother realized what had happened. So she rushed Andrea to the hospital as soon as she could, and they were able to help Andrea, and she made a full recovery from the trazodone. But it was a suicide attempt. Andrea was completely overwhelmed, like we talked about, and she had attempted to take her own life because she really did not see a way out at that point. So after the suicide attempt, Dr. James Flack diagnosed Andrea with, quote, major depressive disorder, single episode, severe. 
After this diagnosis, Andrea was transferred to a psychiatric hospital where a social worker was assigned to her case. So this social worker was basically in charge of making sure that Andrea's home life was stable and that she was really in a position to re-enter society and that she would no longer be you know, a threat to herself, to her family, to anyone around her. The social worker visited the converted bus, the motorhome, where Andrea and the family of six at this point was living. So remember, it was Andrea and Rusty and their four young boys were all still living in this 350 square foot motorhome. And after the visit, the social worker decided that this was pretty much unacceptable. The family had means to live in a much larger home, um, but they were in these very cramped quarters and it just would it just really wasn't a it wasn't a healthy environment for any of them to be living in at that point the social worker actually reported the family to child protective services because of their living conditions and the fact that quote the patient's husband allows the three and a half year old son to use a power drill end quote Unfortunately, Child Protective Services did not decide to pursue the case any further, and Andrea was ultimately released back into the care of her family on June 24th. So she spent about seven days in the hospital, which is not a short amount of time, you know, seven days being watched and and being cared for in a hospital it honestly probably provided her a little bit of relief because she didn't have to care about anyone else. She wasn't looking after anyone else. This was probably the first time in about six years that she could just focus on herself for a little while. But like I said, she was ultimately released back into the care of her family. And at the time of Andrea's release, Rusty was told that Andrea was at risk for hurting herself again. And so he agreed to watch her around the clock. Andrea was prescribed some antidepressant medication for her to take, uh, just in hopes that this would kind of help her not go back into the place that she was to want to hurt herself anymore. Three weeks after she was released back into the care of her family, she started having hallucinations and obsessive thoughts about the children and hurting the children. So Andrea attempted to commit suicide again, and this time she attempted to cut her own throat. Now, if you think about just the amount of stress and the state that you would have to be in to try to cut your own throat, it's awful. Luckily, Rusty was able to stop her before she could cause any serious injury to herself, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Andrea was intent on killing herself this time, but she was stopped, thankfully. She was once again admitted to the psychiatric hospital, and it was uncovered that she had been taking her medication inconsistently. And it is so important that when you're prescribed a medication uh, and you've had these major depressive episodes and you know you need to follow the doctor's orders and and not taking your prescribed psychiatric medicine medication as it's prescribed can be very very dangerous so it's not surprising that it was only three weeks after her last suicide attempt that she tried it again because she had been so inconsistent with her medication and that was just compounding onto her already um you know, depressed and 
overwhelmed state. It, it ended up not helping her at all. It ended up just hurting her because of the inconsistency. The hospital psychiatrist that was treating Andrea after the second suicide attempt asked Andrea why she attempted suicide. And Andrea said, quote, the kids trying to train them upright, being so young, it's a big responsibility. I don't want to fail, end quote. So again, you just have to think of the massive amount of stress that she was under at this point. She was just trying to raise her kids, but she was completely overwhelmed with four young children in a tiny, tiny motorhome, and she just felt like she couldn't do it. So after the second suicide attempt, it was very clear that Andrea was suffering with something more than just normal postpartum depression. So one quick note here on postpartum depression. According to WebMD, postpartum depression is, quote, linked to chemical, social, and psychological changes that happen when having a baby. The term describes a range of physical and emotional changes that many new mothers experience. Postpartum depression can be treated with medication and counseling, end quote. Postpartum depression affects mothers in about 15% of births. So it's not something that is uncommon by any means. So unlike postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis is much more rare and much more dangerous. Postpartum psychosis affects mothers in around one out of a thousand births. And again from WebMD, quote, psychosis is a mental illness in which you lose your typical sense of reality. This shifting of reality can include false beliefs, hallucinations, feeling like you're in a dream, word salad, which is speaking random words or phrases that don't make sense together, and sleep deprivation, end quote. WebMD further states, quote, it is a medical emergency which can potentially lead to suicide or infanticide, end quote. Hospital psychiatrists determined that Andrea was suffering from postpartum psychosis after her second suicide attempt. And so they prescribed her a mix of antipsychotic and antidepressant medications, including Haldol, Effexor, Wellbutrin, and some others. Rusty visited Andrea daily, and Andrea did begin showing signs of improvement. During her stay at the hospital, Rusty bought a three-bedroom home for the family in hopes that this would relieve some of the stress off of Andrea. So finally, she wouldn't have to watch all four of her boys inside a small 350-square-foot motorhome. They were finally going to have a home where the boys could have bedrooms and Rusty and Andrea could actually have their own master bedroom. And it was going to be the normal kind of American suburban life that Andrea really wanted and needed. Three weeks after her second suicide attempt, Andrea was released from the hospital so that she could sleep at home, but she was still required to return to the hospital every day for treatment. So she was allowed to basically spend the nights with her family, but she had to be at the hospital every day to make sure that she wasn't going to have another psychiatric break. Even after three weeks in the hospital, she was still in such a state that they didn't feel that it was safe to just release her back into the care of her family. So very soon after Andrea began returning home, doctors started to doubt that Andrea was consistently taking her medication once again. 
In one of her very first treatment appointments after that attempt, she voiced to the therapist that she and Rusty were hoping to have more children, something that the psychiatrist had strongly advised against because they felt that another birth might cause Andrea to slip further into that psychosis and cause her to further harm herself or her family. On January 12, 2000, Andrea had her last appointment with her psychiatrist, and she admitted that she had just stopped taking her prescribed medication. She felt that she was doing better, and she just thought that the medication would hinder her ability to become pregnant with a healthy child. And to her and Rusty, having as many children as possible was one of the most important things in their lives. So she stopped her medication and hoped that she would get pregnant again. Two months after that last visit with her psychiatrist, which was just a few months after her second suicide attempt, Andrea got pregnant with the couple's fifth child. A few days after Thanksgiving in the year 2000, Andrea and Rusty welcomed their first daughter and final child, Mary, into the world. After the birth of Mary, Andrea still refused to take any medication. She was really fearful that it would hinder her ability to breastfeed Mary, which was also very important to her. Just a few months after the birth, Andrea's father, whose name was Andrew Kennedy, he had been suffering with Alzheimer's for almost a decade, and he ended up passing away. And this event really just launched Andrea back into a dangerous psychosis. After Mary's birth and Andrea's father's death, Andrea was hospitalized two more times. Upon her release both times, psychiatrists strongly advised that she should not be left alone for fears that she would harm herself. At this point, there wasn't really a lot of concern voiced from psychiatrists that Andrea would hurt her family at all, but because of her past attempts to take her own life, they were very fearful that if she was left alone, she would attempt to take her life again. Although Rusty and Andrea may have adhered to this direction initially, over time, Rusty began to leave Andrea alone with the children for just short periods of time. Initially, it was, you know, 10 minutes here, 30 minutes to run to the store, maybe an hour to run over to your parents' house, but it did progress to longer and longer periods of time. He told his friends that he did this basically in an effort to help her regain her independence and not rely on him and his mother so much, which you have to think is a, it comes from a good spot in his heart where he just wants her to be independent once again. But this is the exact opposite of what the psychiatrist had told him. So ultimately, once again, please listen to your doctor's directions. On the morning of June 20th, 2001, Rusty Yates left for work, and he left Andrea at home with their five children. Rusty's mother, whose name is Dara Yates, she was set to arrive at the house to help Andrea just an hour after Rusty left. So Rusty wasn't that concerned. You know, he thought that he would just go to work and nothing really bad could happen within the space of an hour. His mother would be there soon and it would help Andrea, you know, have a little bit of time by herself with the kids. But on that morning, it would be the last time that Rusty would see any of his children alive. 
As soon as Rusty left the house, Andrea locked their dog in its kennel and filled the bathtub. One by one, she took each of her three middle sons, aged two, three, and five, and placed them in the bathtub. She held them under the water until they drowned. She then would place the body on the bed in the master bedroom and repeat the process again with the next child. Once the three middle boys were dead, she picked up six-month-old Mary and held her under the water. Once Mary was dead, instead of placing her on the bed with her brothers, she kept Mary's body floating in the tub. When Noah, the eldest Yates son, saw Andrea drowning Mary, he attempted to run away, but Andrea caught up to him. With Mary's small body still in the tub, she held Noah under the water until he drowned. She then placed Mary's body in the bed with her brothers and left Noah's body floating in the bathtub. After murdering all of her children, she first called the police and told them to come to the house, but she wouldn't tell them what was going on. If you listen to this voice recording, it's actually so haunting because she sounds very calm and very level-headed. She doesn't sound like she just killed all five of her children it it sounds like she just needs a little bit of help and very calm she wants the police to come after hanging up with the 911 dispatcher she called rusty at work and she told him that he needed to come home when rusty asked her if anyone was hurt she responded yes the children all of them She was able to murder all five of her children in less than one hour before Rusty's mother got to the house. When police arrived, Andrea was arrested without incident. She didn't try to flee. She didn't try to fight back. She knew what she had done, and she went willingly with the police. She confessed to all of the murders and never attempted to deny what she had done. In court, her defense team claimed that she was psychotic at the time of the murders and therefore she could not be found guilty due to insanity. In March of 2002, the jury ruled against the defense's argument of insanity and found Andrea guilty of all five of the murders. She was sentenced by the court to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 40 years. In 2005, Andrea caught a break when it was found that a psychiatrist had provided false testimony about a Law & Order episode. So a Yale University lecturer happened to be a writer for Law & Order before she became a lecturer, and she was actually covering the Yates case for several publications. When she heard this testimony, she immediately brought up that no such episode existed at the time of the murders. So basically... When Andrea had committed the murders, this episode, this Law and Order episode, had not been released yet. There was an episode that was matching this description that came out after Andrea Yates's case uh, and after the murders happened, but there was no way that Andrea could have seen this episode and that could have provided any sort of motivation for her to commit the crimes because it hadn't been written yet. It hadn't been, you know, filmed yet. It, it was not it was not released yet. So that was impossible. And due to the false testimony of the psychiatrist, Andrea Yates was granted a new trial. 
At the second trial, Andrea's defense team again claimed that Andrea was suffering from psychosis at the time of the drownings, and so she could not be found guilty because of that psychosis. On July 26, 2006, five years after the murders and after four years in prison, Andrea Yates was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and she was transferred to a psychiatric hospital in Texas. She currently remains in custody of the Kerrville State Hospital in Texas. Rusty Yates went on to remarry in March of 2006. The couple had one son before they finally divorced in 2015. The house at 943 Beachcomber Lane, where Andrea drowned her children, is still there. Although the greenery out front is now somewhat overgrown, blocking the side of the house that appeared in most news stories, the home is still recognizable to those who know where to look. Thank you for listening to Morbid Tourism, the Yates family home. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Leave us a rating if you can. It really helps us out. New episodes will be released weekly. In between episodes, you can visit www.morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. You can also follow us on Instagram at morbidtourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, CNN, and Oprah Magazine.